Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. First off, apologies for missing the episode last week. We were supposed to do a special episode at our staff retreat in Lisbon, Portugal. But unfortunately, uh, there were some schedule changes and ultimately we didn't get around to actually recording the episode. Uh, I had actually a very great format in mind and it's unfortunate we couldn't do it, but we will catch up on this. Uh, probably at the next staff retreat or whenever I get all the people I had in mind uh, back together. But we have a great episode for you this week. We have our research manager, Emil Panjau, telling us all about essential oils and the regulatory threats that these uh, oils are facing and also in this episode on april 27th 2023 episode 112 by the way um, we will be talking about sustainable aviation fuels B quick update on uh, uh, new targets being set by the european commission uh, and then also a um, bit of personal story about lost bags and what you need to know when an airline loses your bag so let's get started First off, the European Union's negotiators have found a deal. 70% of sustainable aviation fuel by 2050, that is the goal by the European Union, making the entire sector more sustainable by using different kinds of um, kerosene, uh, different mixtures of sustainable aviation fuel used within uh, the overall kerosene mix. Here's an excerpt by PBS on the topic. Many airlines are offsetting emissions by funding carbon reductions elsewhere, so-called carbon credits. Sarah Bogdan is head of sustainability at JetBlue. Today, ultimately, we need liquid fuels. The good news is it doesn't have to be fossil fuels. Sustainable aviation fuel exists. It is well proven. Airlines have been flying on it for some time, including JetBlue. Today, airliners fueling up in California use 4 million gallons of sustainable fuel a year. One supplier, Neste, refines its green fuel from used cooking oils. It reduces carbon emissions by as much as 80% before it is blended with fossil fuel. Our goal is to have over 100 million gallons of sustainable aviation fuel in the market by the end of 2025. So that's a big jump, uh, but we still got to get to 90 billion. So overall, aviation is supposed to become more sustainable. Uh, let's see if those targets are reachable overall. Um, I was recently flying actually to Lisbon on an Airbus XLR. So these are the new models that use 30% less kerosene. So this is not based on the, the composition of the fuel, but it's actually based on the engine performance of those aircraft. A lot, of, a lot is being done in that front. Ultimately, the question is also how expensive those sustainable fuels are are because uh, when it comes to when it comes to the internal combustion engine for cars uh, for now we're looking at a high price range the same applies to uh, hydrogen so uh, will that impact the cost of flights that is also a question that we need to look at because for a lot of people traveling around europe the plane remains the only viable option try getting from athens to lisbon if you're not flying it's difficult Next up, and this is on a personal level, uh, in the last two months, uh, German airports have lost three in total of my bags, um, one of which has been returned within 24 hours, one is currently uh, lost at Munich Airport, and one has been lost for about three weeks now, almost a month, 
um, at uh, Frankfurt Airport. And here's maybe some good insights that I can give you from my experience, because up until this year, I actually did not have uh, very many lost bags. I had one in November last year. It took about four or five days to get it back. And so what you need to know uh, about this system is that, first of all, when you arrive at your destination and you discover that your bag does not end up on the luggage belt, declare it immediately. Do tell uh, the people there. There might be an office. Maybe it's also just a... Um, a screen where you can type in all of your information, depending on the airport, those screens are quite good. Um, and then you will get a receipt uh, with a claim number. And that claim number, of course, you want to keep. Uh, usually you will also receive an email. And um, then you have to wait. Uh, the best option, I believe, is still to get your bag delivered to your address. Hopefully you will be there uh, when your bag will be hopefully delivered. Um, most of the bags can be traced within the first 48 hours and they will be returned. However, it does happen that those bags get lost either longer or permanently. Now, in my case, uh, within five days, I was asked to contact the airline that last had my bag. Of course, if you're switching between different airlines on a combined ticket, it might be hard to know who exactly to contact. So in that case, it's best to check with the people you booked your ticket with. And then after that, that airline will give you a time window within which you can fill out a claim form for the contents of your bag. So then you have to provide estimates. However, do know that airlines will ask you for receipts. Those can be receipts of the items, uh, but also credit card receipts for when you purchase those items. You will be asked to provide when those items were purchased. Because the airline discounts, in the case of Lufthansa, which is my case, about 15 cents a day, which represents about 50 to 60 euros a year in usage of those items. So that's quite important to know. If you have an item that's three years old, you might get zero um, for, for that item. It does seem to depend on the type of uh, item. And then also... Um, the total value, according to the Montreal Convention of 1999, um, you can see I really researched this thoroughly as I was going through this process, um, allows for currently a maximum of 1,500 euros to be reimbursed. And do prepare yourself for a lengthy process on that one. You can also check with your credit cards. Uh, sometimes you do have insurance on those premium credit cards that might make up for the difference. But then again, lengthy process with your insurance company as well. Ultimately, best not to have your bag lost and of course have something in there that might be able to track it. Because I read some stories of people actually being able to uh, go to the auctions of lost bags and finding their own bag um, in, in the pile of those being auctioned off. Because after six months, airlines and airports stop looking for your bag and give it up for auction. Uh, and uh, it's actually one of my goals to attend one of these and kind of, you know, just uh, bid on a random bag and see see what's inside. So that's for you to know about how to navigate some of this. Um, if you have some personal stories about bags being lost, you can email me on bill at consumerchoicecenter.org. I'm actually quite interested to see what people have to say about lost bag stories. It seems that in Germany, this is currently quite a mess. Those uh, companies that used to govern uh, the, uh, the, the, the handling of bags 
had a rough time during COVID and had to downsize. And as a result of that, now there's fewer people working in that industry, making it very hard to get all the volume of bags onto the aircraft uh, that actually needs to needs to arrive somewhere. So these were the two first stories. And now let's get to the interview of the week. Emil Panjawa is the research manager at the Consumer Choice Center in-house. And uh, he's telling us all about essential oils and the regulatory threat that they are facing. So Emil, today we are talking about essential oils. And uh, before we get into what the regulatory uh, problem is here. Uh, let's first define it for consumers. A lot of consumers will already use essential oils, but might not know exactly what they are. So what are essential oils? Sure, Bill. So uh, besides scented candles or anything you might have around the house, essential oils are usually defined as steam distilled or manually pressed extracts from various plants. Uh, and it could be bar the bark of a tree as well. It could be the leaves. It could be the stem. It could be any part of the plant used to create these sorts of extracts. And there are like 237 oils here. So things like, you probably you probably know some of these, lavender, citronella, uh, rose, depends, depends on which fragrance you like, but there are hundreds, literally hundreds of these. And consumers might know some of these uh, because they come in these tiny bottles, these ex ex extracts. Um, however, it might be under threat by new regulation. So ease us into this topic. What exactly is the regulatory threat to essential oils? Yes. Yeah, so the European Chemicals Agency wants to adopt a new strategy for sustainability where they want a sort of risk-based, uh, sorry, hazard-based uh, assessment of, of essential oils, meaning that all we need to do is look at the properties of a chemical and identify the chemical and test it in the lab. And if something might go wrong under laboratory conditions, even though that's not true in practice, then we need to make sure that those are banned, which of course is going to cause all sorts of havoc in the essential oils industry. So hazard and risk are semantic differences, would some say, because in the English language, sometimes we use risk, sometimes we use hazard. For the audience members that might not know exactly um, the difference scientifically, can you just explain that? Yes, sure. So hazard-based assessment, as I mentioned earlier, are very much based simply on identifying the mere presence of something and identifying the properties of something and deciding based on that that that's dangerous. Whereas risk involves levels of exposure. So it takes into account um, how much of something there needs to be in order to, to think of it as being dangerous. It's like the difference between uh, the mere presence of sharks in water and you sitting on the beach and saying, well, the water is dangerous even though nothing's happening and actually swimming with the sharks, right? And if you're swimming with the sharks, then things might get a bit spicier than usual, but it might still be safe up to a certain point. So um, why this move? Uh, what exactly is the has been the starting stone, um, the stepping stone, I'd say, uh, for the ECHA, the European Chemicals Agency, to reconsider essential oils? Because they've been on the market for quite a while. 
Yes, yeah, so I think the part of the problem is a kind of shift towards a better, better safe than sorry mentality that uh, what we need to do is not have any sorts of risks at all, rather than um, look at specific levels of risks, because that assumes that risks still exist and what we need to do is manage them. And they say, no, actually, we can eliminate them entirely. And that way we can create a sort of economy where everything is safe and everything is green going in and going out. So it becomes the sort of circular economy, as they call it. Uh, that's the kind of motivator behind it. Um, there's, there's frankly, surprisingly little about things like force or fraud involved, which we might associate with general regulations and keeping people safe, um, uh, which, is, well, has created all sorts of actually perverse effects with this sort of regulation, honestly which I can go into more detail if you want. And we should do that because this is a significant industry. One aspect of it is, of course, perfumes uh, in which essential oils are also used. Um, can you give our audience a bit, of a, uh, a bit of an overview of how significant this industry actually is, particularly in Europe? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, 992 of all the fragrances that you uh, use in perfumes come from essential oils. So all those fancy... Terdermes, uh, Givenchy, or uh, perfumes to include essential oils in them. They probably have royals, rose oil, lavender, and so on. So um, it's also a very big deal for the emergent clean beauty products. So anyone who's looking for alternatives to uh, to um, to more synthetic products in makeup is going to use essential oils because they have antibacterial, antifungic, anti-inflammatory properties. So they keep your face clean, but they also make sure that you don't have any, uh, they keep your face clean of both infections and acne, and they help you out um, uh, by not causing any sort of irritation or keeping that away, right? With anti-inflammatory properties. So they're very important for the industry and they've been growing at an incredible rate. They went from, what I mentioned before, 2.221 billion. If there's no regulation, they're set to rise to 3.21 billion euros. So this is a very, very new, very emergent industry that consumers really want that will be axed if if these regulations go through. Because if it's classified as a hazard-based thing, then it's going to run under the prohibitive category. So restriction 1902 from from 2020 applies there. Uh, it's, they're going to go on the list and they're no won't be available anymore, which means that that entire market is under threat. So does this would this actually mean a ban? Would that mean those products would have to be taken off the shelf? Would it mean they would have to be labeled as poison? I mean, what what what, what does it imply? Uh, so in the case of um, certain of these products, they would be specifically mandated as being, you know, skull and crossbones. So have have them labeled as toxic specifically, uh, especially through that regulation, meaning that consumers are going to try to avoid them because we know unlike uh, cigarette warnings or general health warnings, these sorts of well health warnings that that specifically signal danger are things that consumers really pay attention to. So we're really guiding them away from natural-based products to more synthetic-based products, even though those ones tend to be riskier. Um, we mentioned perfumes, but um, essential oils are also natural repellents for mosquitoes, ticks, and, uh, and other arthropods, other insects. Um, 
they're an alternative to DT. Well, DT in larger quantities uh, can be quite neurotoxic to people, but we don't label it with a skull and crossbones. Um, so, so essentially, um, essen essentially essential oils, maybe that should be the headline of the, the podcast. Um, uh, they are almost a harm reducing alternative when it comes to mosquito repellents. It seems that this is the safer alternative to use and yet it would have to be, it would have to be labeled as such. So what exactly, um, has been the, the problem here? Because I mean, most of the consumers will know that you shouldn't chug a bottle of perfume. Have there been instances of people actually being hurt by this? And this and and this is a this might be a good reason to to uh, to get uh, stronger on the regulatory front. I mean, we both know that there are plenty of people um, promoting all sorts of uh, crazy cures online. But the way to do to deal with that is actually addressing fraud, not addressing not addressing the main market or or enacting these sorts of pre-market measures where you make sure that something is restricted or labeled before it even gets on the market in the first place. What we need is more enforcement of things we already do. Um, and also, it, it turns out when you try and, and use a mallet to crush all these things, you actually introduce more danger via these sorts of dangerous substitutes. So I'm not sure how this is supposed to address the danger that consumers are in without addressing fraud or without talking about substitutes. Can you give us any indication uh, about the timeline here? How quickly can this actually go through? Um, is it still a bit vague as for now? Are, are, are we confronted with a proposal? Um, the regulator ultimately will make those decisions. But for the consumers wondering right now, when worst case scenario, could this actually happen? So this whole uh, regulation for, uh, for sustainability has been on the table since October 2020. So it's been a while since it's been there. Uh, discussions are still ongoing. Of course, there's justified resistance from countries like Bulgaria, where ro ro rose oil is one of their most important exports. Rose Valley, the Rose Valley is known throughout the world. 40,000 people work there. Um, and... 92 million of the euros that they export go to countries like uh, France, Germany, the US, um, and around the world. So it's a big deal for countries like Bulgaria, the poorest country in the EU, to be hit like this with this sort of regulation. So I don't expect things to be go uh, to be going very quickly, but we need a change in attitude from the ECHA, from the European Chemicals Agency, because they're not just uh, politically involved, there are also regulators who sit in a neutral stance towards regulation. So we would like to see a more um, evidence-based oriented thinking from them rather than better save them, sorry, in the first place as well. But that takes time also to change that mentality. And so for the listeners right now who think, oh, this is all very interesting, where can I read more about this topic? Well, I'm glad to say uh, I know exactly where they can read more about it on our on our website, uh, where we just published uh, our report uh, written by me on the topic of essential oils. Uh, and uh, you can go ahead and read all of the of the nice 10 pages layout there and find out more details, some of which I've already mentioned here, but I go into more details about the arguments for essential oils and for being careful about how we use this sorts of thinking in practice and not just thinking that it works in theory and therefore works in practice. Well, you can find all of that on the website consumerchoicecenter.org and you click your way through to publications where you can find Emil's report. Emil Panjaro, thank you so much for joining the Consumer Podcast. Thank you. 
And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow Emil Panjao on Twitter at Emil Panjao. And of course, follow the Consumer Choice Center as well at Consumer Choice C. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, and I hope to see you Thursday. You have to learn.